the image of marriage has been very prominent in maybe the last month and a half or so in a number of our readings and in, the number, and in a number of our celebrations. Uh, any of you who went to Christmas Mass with me know that I, I preached on this image of marriage, this idea of God wanting to marry us and enter into communion with us. In fact, this first reading uh, was the very same first reading at the Vigil Mass for Christmas. And then we had the Feast of the Holy Family uh, the day after Christmas where we talked about the goods of marriage and its purpose in our world and the beauty of married life as a vocation of holiness. And it is so true, brothers and sisters, that Jesus' entire ministry is one of reestablishing a marriage of sorts between God and us. You could say that with original sin, there was a separation, if you will, a chasm that existed between God and humanity, and Christ comes to reconcile those two entities together. Christ tries to reestablish the bond that God wants to have with us, his creatures. And so it would make sense that Jesus would work his very first miracle, the changing of water into wine, in the context of a wedding. It is altogether appropriate that Jesus' first miracle, the first of his great signs, would be in the context of a wedding because it makes his mission on earth just a little bit more acute. So if we're going to understand what Jesus was getting at, the point of this miracle, we have to delve a little deep into the, uh, the customs, if you will, of Jewish weddings back in the day. Uh, so a wedding celebration in Jesus' time in first century Palestine would have lasted for days, maybe even an entire week or so. Uh, it was a huge celebration, not just of the individual families, but of the communities in which the bride and groom were a part. And an essential part of the party, you could say, was having wine. Uh, without wine, the spirit of the celebration would die down very, very quickly. Uh, the party would be over soon. And there would be a legitimate embarrassment, a legitimate embarrassment on the part of the hosts for not having enough wine to sustain a multi-day celebration. Again, even a celebration that would last a week. This was something that Mary noticed uh, as she was there at this wedding. Uh, so let's, let's focus maybe a little bit more even on this wine, though. Uh, that Jesus convert the, the water that Jesus turns into wine, and even this old and new wine image that St. John uses. Wine in general, brothers and sisters, invo evokes the divine life. It's representative of the Spirit of God. Wine is that which, which elevates the Spirit, an elixir, you could say, that brings people together and allows people to enter into communion. And when there's a gathering, there is normally wine, especially in first century Palestine. You could also say wine is sort of a symbolic of ecstasy, one could say. When one is intoxicated in that sense, you're taken outside of yourself and living in a world uh, that is different than what we are currently in. And you could say that wine does for the body what the Holy Spirit does for the soul. Again, wine you know, lifts us up out of our our current way of living, and the Holy Spirit does the same for the soul. And we want to distinguish in this story that old and the new wine. Because the old wine, brothers and sisters, represents the old covenant. And that is the wine that runs short at the wedding in the gospel. In this wedding, the wine had run out in the sense that the old covenant had run its course. 
It could not go any further on its own. It had run out, so to speak. It was no longer able to sustain the people of Israel. It was no longer able to sustain that communal gathering, no longer able to sustain the spiritual ecstasy that God wanted his people to have. And so what happens next? Mary, of course, convinces Jesus to work his first miracle. Mary, first of all, tells Jesus they have no wine. And in those words, Mary is sort of representing all of Israel, telling Jesus that the people have no joy. No ability to be brought into that spiritual ecstasy. No way to be intoxicated with divine life. It is Mary who is imploring Jesus on behalf of all of humanity. Mary is the one who recognizes the limitations of that old wine, of the old covenant. And she therefore implores her son to work his first miracle. And so by this first miracle, brothers and sisters, Jesus gives us a little glimpse of how the new covenant would come about. And of course, this new wine represents the new covenant. The new covenant, this new wine, is made from water, made from that which is insipid, which is plain and earthly, but is elevated, elevated to something far greater than it could be on its own, elevated to an entirely new reality, with a new capability of bringing people together, a new capability of giving this intoxication, this spiritual intoxication that the old wine couldn't even dream of. And so some of this wine is given to the head waiter who remarks, you know, usually good wine is served first and then when people have drunk an inferior one. But you have saved the good wine until now. Jesus' new covenant is far greater, infinitely greater than the old covenant that had previously sustained the people of Israel. Christ has saved the good wine, the good covenant for his time. It is far better wine that Jesus gives to the people, far more pleasing to the senses. And in fact, there is way more wine even than what they previously had, because all of those jars amounted to about 180 gallons of wine. That is wine for days. Wine for days. A wine that tastes better. A wine that lasts longer, and a wine that sustains a far greater communal gathering than the old wine could have even imagined. It keeps the gathering and the party going, and is far, far greater. Jesus' new covenants is far superior to the old, just as that new wine is far superior to that old wine. The new covenant has a far greater horizon than the old covenant, a greater potential to be uplifted and elevated into the inner life of God. So it's important, brothers and sisters, as we see this story in its entirety, to understand what Jesus does, it's important to ask ourselves, how can I live in that new covenant? That Jesus calls all of us to live within. What is this new wedding banquet in which I am called to participate and drink this new wine of joy and of gladness? I think part of the answer for us lies in the words that Mary told the servants at that wedding. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever Jesus tells us. If we live out the commands of Christ, we are living out that new covenant. We must make our lives radiate the divine life, to be lifted up, to let the elixir of our souls transport us to Jesus, 
to transport us upward and even to be transformed as well. What parts of our lives must be transformed? What parts of our lives are insipid, plain and earthly, like that water that need to be transformed into the new wine of God? And maybe where is there old wine that needs to be switched out? The old wine of sin. The old wine of our struggles, maybe whether it's lack of prayer, struggles with purity, or unforgiveness in our hearts. Where does that old wine need to be transformed into the new wine of the new covenant? Let us not be afraid, brothers and sisters, to abandon the old wine of sin and embrace the new wine of grace and truth so that Christ can reinvigorate our hearts with the wine of his love and pray that we might be spiritually inebriated with the grace of God who seeks to give us the new wine and make us members of his new covenant.